Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, this morning and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. I think I have shared this with you before, but I am a routine kind of guy. I was talking to somebody in the hall this morning about this last week and how it had gone, and I said, you know, I have enjoyed kind of being back to routine. I'll enjoy holidays, but I also enjoy consistency. I enjoy that routine of life. I don't know about you, but that's just the way I am. Maybe I'm getting a little older or so, but it's just affecting me. I just like things the way they are supposed to be. Any of you like that sometimes? Yeah, just consistency. I know where I'm supposed to be. I know what time church is going to be happening. I know all these kinds of things. Consistency and routine. So I enjoy that, especially as we get back into the new year. But as I said last week, I have been praying that God would not just make this a routine year for me and for you. As a matter of fact, what I have specifically prayed is that, God, you would allow us to encounter you. We want to encounter your son, even in the mundane things, the things that we do each and every day, the routine things. I hope and pray that we could sense Jesus, we could see him in our lives, and that he would do something within us. It has been my prayer over these last few days in particular that God would allow us to encounter his son. Because once you encounter Jesus in a fresh and wonderful way, you cannot, you cannot go away unchanged. God's got to do something within us. And as I look at Luke chapter 5, where we're going to just pause and just contemplate this morning, I really want God to allow us to encounter him in true discipleship. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, last Sunday night, we came together and I talked to you about the meaning of discipleship. That the disciple is the student or follower of one teacher, one master. As we think of discipleship in context of the church, that means that we, disciples of Jesus, we are students and we are followers of Jesus Christ. And we are called to a committed relationship. We are called to follow him and to emulate his example. We are called. And this morning I want you to hear the call. And I pray that it is afresh and you upon your life as we look at this year of 2020 together. So Luke chapter 5. Luke has been showing us again how different ones have responded to Jesus and here in chapter 5 he gives us this definite call to the four fishermen it says in verse 1 and so it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets then he got into one of the boats which was Simon's and asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, 
I will let down the net. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down and at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. This is a great illustration, a great narrative about the call of discipleship for these early believers, but also for us. Now, we're told of this guy named Simon, and we assume here that his fishing buddy Andrew is with him. We're told in the scripture as well, there are two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and that they're there as well. And basically, Basically, Jesus is teaching the multitude. He's out just kind of teaching and preaching. You would expect that from Jesus, right? He's teaching and he's preaching all around. He's preaching around the the Sea of Galilee. That's what this lake is, the Sea of Galilee. He's right there. He's teaching on the bank. And as he's teaching, the people begin to press in. Uh, You know, obviously they weren't Baptist. I really never feel pressed in when I preach to you all. I kind of feel depressed out sometimes, but never pressed in. So he's preaching to this crowd, and these people begin to press in. They want to hear Jesus maybe a little more closely. They want to see Jesus. So what does Jesus do? Jesus is walking, and he looks around, and he sees Simon Peter. He sees Andrew, I believe. He sees James and John, and they are... They are just putting up their nets. They're cleaning them. They've been out fishing all night long. And Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to use that boat. And Jesus walks down the coastline there, and the people are following him. And he comes over to Simon. He says, hey, I need to use your boat. I need to put out just a little bit. need to get away from the people so that I can see them. They can hear me. There's no pressing in. So Jesus takes Simon Peter's boat, and the boat becomes a pulpit. The boat becomes an evangelistic tool. The boat becomes the place where Jesus sits and he teaches. So this practical need is met that he can teach and he can preach to the multitude. Well, he gets through preaching and teaching. I'm sure it lasted about 45 minutes because that's what a good preacher will preach most of the time. He finishes preaching, and he looks over, and he says to Simon, he says, I want to go fishing. I want to go. We're out in a boat. We're out here. We just, we ought to go fishing. I need you to launch out, and I need for us to let down the nets. Let's go fishing. Now, listen. Most of the time when somebody calls me and says, let's go fishing, I'm excited about it. I'm ready to go. Unless it's 20 degrees outside, okay? 
It's 20 degrees. That's not the time to go fishing. Sorry, hate to burst your bubble. Some of you have asked me recently and I said no, because I'm not going in 20 degree weather. There are better things to do, like sit on a deer stand at 20 degrees. Got more clothes, okay? But most of the time, somebody says, you want to go fishing, you think to yourself, that's exciting. That's what I want to do. I want to go fishing. But Peter protests. Peter says, now, Jesus, I know you've got all this spiritual stuff down. I've heard you teach. Now, I know this is Reggie's rendition, okay, Reggie's version. But this is basically what he says. He says, Jesus, I've been listening to you. Man, you know what you're talking about when it comes to the spiritual things of God. There's no one else like you. When you're teaching and preaching, you get caught up in it. You know your scripture. It is awesome. But Jesus, you don't know much about fishing. Because Jesus, we've been out all night long. And we've been fishing. And see, the prime time, I don't know if any of you do that prime time on fishing or, or hunting. He says, the prime time is always at night. Always at night. And up against the shore, that's where we're supposed to be. So that's the reason they fish at night around the shore. The fishermen of the New Testament, that's what they would do. So Peter says, Jesus, it doesn't make sense. We've been out fishing. They're, the fish are not biting. They did not bite at prime time. We couldn't get them in our nets. We could not catch them. It's kind of like... Let's say, let's say if you're a nurse, let's say if you're a nurse and you've just pulled a 12-hour night shift and you've been working all night and you've seen some very sick people and you've tried to take care of them and here you worked 12 hours and as you're getting ready to like head out, finish up your day, get some rest, as you're about to do that, your supervisor comes and says, I, I need you to work 12 more hours. I, I'd love for you, just 12 more. 12 more, same kind, same kind of situations. I know you've had a rough night, but 12 more, I need you to work right now. How many of you would be like, yes? <laughs> oh, I know. Some of you say, well, what do you expect me to say in front of the church, Reggie? got to say yes like I was excited about this no I know it look 12 hours you already been out working you've been working 12 hours you've been up all night and here you are having to work 12 no it's not exciting how about those of you who are teachers so you you work all day long you've been teaching and it's been one of those days those of you in the education field, you know what I'm talking about. One of those days. You've been teaching. It's like nothing has penetrated the student's brain. They have not gotten anything. You've said to yourself, if I can just make it through the day. About that, you knew in second period when you were ready for the day to be over, it was going to be a long one, right? You finally finish up. About 4.30, you get home, and just upon entering the door, you get a phone call. And your principal, who you love and who you adore, says to you, we'd love for you to come back. 
We need you to come back, if you will, at 6 p.m. tonight because it didn't take today. And we hope that the students will learn more from 6 to 8. We're calling everybody back in. How many of you would be excited, educators? Most of you would say, not in my contract. Sorry, got plans. I could suggest a few people to you. Here is Jesus looking at Peter or Simon, and he says, we got to go fishing. Remember, fishing for Simon and these other guys, fishing was not recreational. Fishing was vocational. They didn't fish because they just liked to fish. They fished because it was their livelihood. It's like you. Again, if you're a nurse or a teacher, you say, you're a nurse? You don't go around nursing for fun. All right, it's fun, I know. But I'm talking about in your extra hours, you don't go around saying, let's see if I can nurse. You who are teachers, you don't go around saying, let me see if I can find somebody who I can teach today, probably. No, you kind of like to have a little time. Simon says, Jesus... We've been fishing all night long. And you're wanting us to go back. And you're wanting us to fish again. Let me say to you that when a call to discipleship comes to you, it will involve complete surrender. When God calls you to discipleship, when he calls you to be a follower, a student of his, what he calls you to is complete surrender. Surrender to his word. Remember, Jesus had been teaching. He had been sharing the word of God. And then when he got in the, or got in the boat and he looks at Simon, he commands Simon and says, let's go. He looks at him singularly because that verb launch is in the singular form. So he looks at Simon and says, you, buddy, you personally, you launch this boat. And then he's looking at everybody because that let down, that verb, is in the plural. It means, and you all let down the nets. I need somebody to launch the boat, and I need somebody, a bunch of people actually, to put the nets down. And it didn't make sense to them, but it's what God called them to do. It's what Jesus had instructed them. Peter said, nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. Listen to me, friends. If we are disciples and students of one master, of one teacher, that means we must listen to what that master teacher says, and we must surrender our lives. We must obey whatever he says. There are going to be some times in 2020 that you probably look at God and say, What? You want me to do what? If there's not a time like that, then you need to probably ask yourself, you need to probably ask yourself, God, am I truly where you need me to be? Because they're going to, there should be moments in the disciple's life where he asks you to do something that you probably don't want to do. He's going to ask you some things that may make you uncomfortable. He's going to ask you to do some things that you think would be impossible but when you hear what Jesus says, there should be a complete surrender to his word. And there's a complete surrender to his work. So they launch out. 
and they go into the deep. Again, it doesn't make sense, really, because daytime is not the prime time. You shouldn't be out in the deep, necessarily, fishing, trying to uh, lower your nets. But obviously, God gives the increase. And Peter, he notices what God, what Jesus has done, and he is not only surrendered to the work, but he surrendered, or surrendered to the word, he is surrendered to the work of Jesus. Jesus says this. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Don't worry about these things. He says, for now you are going to catch men. You are going to fish for men. Jesus uses an analogy of catching men, catching women, catching individuals for the kingdom of God. He says, now you are going to be fishers of men. And again, this is not recreational. This is vocation. In other words, your primary job now is to catch men for the kingdom. You're not out there, well, if it just so happens and you just want to have a little fun one day. No, it should be about every day of your life is about catching individuals for the kingdom of God. Obviously, there's evangelistic overtones everywhere. Everywhere. And what does it say in verse 11? It says, they had, when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and they followed him. They said, all right, Jesus, we're giving up all this. We're following you. We're giving up everything that we thought we knew for the opportunity to follow you. What does a disciple do? A disciple follows Jesus. If you're going to be more like the teacher, you got to spend time with him. So you got to follow him. You got to be with him. 2020, we got to be with him. We got to follow him. What is it to be a disciple? You follow Jesus and you fish for men. That's what you do. You follow, you fish. You're going to help take captive men's hearts and lives. For the kingdom. William Barclay wrote some years ago. He said, it's possible to be a follower of Jesus without being a disciple. To be a camp follower without being a soldier of the king. To be a hanger-on in some great work without pulling one's weight. Once someone was talking to a great scholar about a younger man. And he said, so-and-so tells me that he is one of your students. The teacher answered devastatingly. He may have attended my lectures, but he was not one of my students. Barclay says, there is a world of difference between attending lectures and being a student. It is one of the supreme handicaps of the church that in the church there are so many distant followers of Jesus and so few real disciples. There are a lot of people that are standing back when God has called them to come and follow let, let me note this. Peter and these others, they knew Jesus already. As a matter of fact, John 1 says, Andrew comes and gets Peter and says, Hey, this is the Messiah. Matthew 4, Mark chapter 1, tell us of these same kind of times that they followed Jesus. So they, they had known Jesus. They had heard about him. They were standing at a distance. They could maybe even hear him teaching while they're doing their work. But they had not really followed him. And listen, I'm not trying to get people to doubt their salvation. I'm not trying to... 
I just want to put it plainly. There are a lot of people today that know a lot about Jesus. They might even say he's the Christ and the Messiah, but they've never surrendered their life completely to him. They've never come to him. They may have sat in church. They may have been in part of the lectures, but they've not allowed themselves to be a student and a follower, a disciple of Jesus. And what we need today are more disciples who are completely surrendered to his word and completely surrendered to his work. For us this year, we want to be completely surrendered. I do. I hope you do too. Over the last few months, the staff and I, we prayed and we planned. We'd come back and we'd talk about some more things. We'd pray again, trying to seek him. God, what would you have us to do? What are the goals for 2020? 2020 is a great idea to think about a new year. What are your goals? Well, some of you have already seen the goals that we place there in your worship bulletin. The goals that we believe that God is giving us for 2020. Somebody asked earlier, are you going to preach a message and then go over all this too? We're going to be here all day long. Let me just share with you my heart for a moment because I think it fits into this call to discipleship. What would be our goals? Well, it's got to come out of the revelation of God. No vision is truly God's vision unless it is born out of the revelation of God, out of the scripture itself. So what are we, what are we praying for this year? We, we're praying that we will launch out and that we will lower the nets. We're praying that we will see people introduced to Jesus Christ and brought into his kingdom. We're praying that we will be true fishers of men. And this year, we pray that there will be at least, at least 1,100 gospel conversations take place from this congregation of temple to those who may not know Christ as their Lord and Savior. In just a little while, I'm going to ask you if, you if you can, either during the invitation or as you leave, to pick up one of these green balls. Some of you probably saw those earlier. A lot of the ushers were asking me what those were for. Some people said that they thought I was going to throw them out and you were going to throw them back up. I'm going to ask you to take one of these balls, one of these green balls, that for us stand for growth, for kingdom growth. I'm going to ask you to think about taking one of those, of praying over it and saying, hey, I, I, want, I need to be a part of this. I need to be one who is trying to fish for men. Taking one of these balls and saying, hey, I'm going to take this as a reminder that this year I'm going to share the gospel with one person, have a gospel conversation with one person that may not know Jesus as their Savior. Now, some of you say, oh, I share Christ every day. Well, that's great. You better have a lot of these balls. You take one, fill it out, and bring back. Some of you say, shouldn't we be sharing every day? Absolutely, we should be sharing every day. But, but I subscribe to Ortberg's, the, his training versus trying mentality. There are a lot of people today that have never shared their faith once. 
And they're going to try, but they get so overwhelmed. So what I want to do is just, hey, just start at one. Just start one person. That's all I'm asking. One person that you will think about in your family, in your friends, in your neighbors, in your workplace, maybe a total stranger. One person that you will share Jesus Christ with. If you're a disciple, God captured your heart so that he could use you to capture other people's hearts. 1,100. Why don't you say 1,100? Because if you look at our attendance, that's basically what we run. Our average attendance, our average attendance. Now today, it'll be a little more. Uh, well, uh, yes, it'll be a little more today. I was thinking about that national championship game, but most of y'all don't care too much about it. Anyway, um, a little more today, a little less next week maybe. About 1,100. That means that the average attendance of Temple Baptist Church this year that every individual is going to share at least one gospel conversation. And then what I want you to do is to bring this ball back. We're going to put the initials of the person that you shared with. We're going to put the initials as an opportunity for us to pray and to think. And we're going to put it in a display. There is one outside this sanctuary. There's one outside there in the gathering so that we can keep up with the number of times that we've shared the gospel, the gospel of Christ. Let me say this. May I say this? There are a lot of things that we can do in this world. There are a lot of things we can do. And the church needs to be a part of a lot of things. But we need to get back to the basic things, and that is sharing the good news and love of Jesus Christ with people. Amen. 1,100 is our goal. I hope we surpass that. I hope we see many more gospel conversations. 100. 100 what? 100 baptisms. If we are sharing the gospel, we ought to expect people to come to faith in Christ. Now, I understand only God can save people. I can't save people. All I am is an instrument to share the gospel. I'm the one who's able to put out what God has said. God's the one that has to captivate the true heart. He's the one that calls people to be disciples. He can just use me. But if people come to faith in Christ, then they ought to follow him in baptism. Baptism is not a part of salvation, but it is important in your walk with Christ. There are some people in this sanctuary. There are some people there in the gathering. They need to follow the Lord and be baptized. There are some people that have not accepted Christ, obviously they're going to accept Christ. They're going to take the next step of baptism. We're praying for 100 baptisms. Lloyd, we've never had 100 baptisms here at Temple Baptist Church. Never in one year have we had 100 baptisms. But we believe God can give us the harvest. He can allow us to launch out, and he can allow us to put it deep, put those nets deep. And see people saved. Hey, may I tell you something pretty exciting? We already had four even before this day. You may not have known that. You may not have seen them. That's okay. January the 1st, first day of the year, we had four baptisms. Where were they? On a Wednesday night at the Lincoln Parish Detention Center. Some of you don't know, we've got ministry going on all kinds of different places. We have a ministry there on Wednesday nights. Wednesday night, January the 1st, four. 
baptisms. You say, well, you count those? Oh, yeah, we count those. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. It's not just about being baptized, right? We want to see, isn't this what we're supposed to do? Go into the prisons themselves and see people saved in the name of Jesus Christ. In the gathering at 1030 today, we will have two baptisms. Of a young man, a youth that God has brought in his own way to us in our congregation. A college student who is on the tennis team. At, she's from Mexico, but she came and she's accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior. And she's going to be baptized in the 1030 service as well. We were supposed to have one this morning, J.J. Hoover, but... He was sick last night. That's fine because we're going to still baptize him in the days to come. Isn't it exciting to know that God is getting ahead of us and working before we even could even mention it and talk about these things? What we're asking people to do is to pray as well. Because we know, again, God has to work in people's lives and hearts. So we have 100 people praying. Now, we'd already asked some people to start praying because we had a feeling that God was going to do some things like this even before we announced it. So we already have some who have committed to pray. What we're asking them to do, asking you to do, is for you to be assigned a number. Brother George is leading this up. And you're going to pray for that person. You may not know who that person is. Number one, number two, number three, number four, all the way to 100. You may not know who that individual is, but God knows. And you want to pray not only for their salvation, that God would do a work in them, or pray for them to follow in the step of baptism, but you're going to keep praying for them in the days to come. You're going to take that name when we find out who it is. We're going to tell you, and we're going to say, pray for this person. Keep praying. You may not know in the beginning, but when that person comes to be baptized, we'll give you the name, and we'll ask you to keep praying. Because salvation is a work of God. We can't fish effectively unless he's in the boat with us. So we want to pray. Some of you have signed up. That's great. You've been approached, but if you say, I want to be a part of that prayer team and I want to pray, you can go online, temple.life, and you can find a place there. It should, des uh, should send you where you can sign up and say, I want to be a part of that team. 275. 275. 275 short-term mission team members who are willing to serve outside of Ruston, Louisiana. Where'd you come up to 75? 25% of our average attendance. 25% of 1,100. I think I did the Mississippi math on it. 275. 275. Some of you say, that's hot. You think about all the different missions, all the different teams that we're going to have this coming year. I mean, there are so many different ones that people can be involved in outside of Ruston. Generationally, the youth, the college students, those of us who are median age or young adults, those who are older, there are going to be all kinds of opportunities for us to be involved in missions outside of Ruston. By the end of January, listen, today, four, four people today are in East Asia sharing the gospel of Christ. Four people right now. By the end of January, 21 people will have been on short-term mission teams. Again, some of you look at me and say, oh, but we've got to worry about here. Did I not say that we should share 1,100 
gospel conversations, most of those are probably going to be local that we're going to share. Oh, 21 people? 21 people in January, they're not all gone by the same time. I know they are great people and we need them in the kingdom work, but I think there are enough of us left here to take care of Rustin, don't you? We need to be impacting the globe. And we have been, and we want to continue. We want to push, push the envelope. And we want to see people come to faith globally. As Brother Ron prayed earlier in this service, the best thing that could happen in our world is for people to meet the Prince of Peace. Before there's peace in this world, they've got to know the Prince of Peace. 275. 27. 27 books of the New Testament. I've already, we've already launched this in so many ways, but this is reading through the New Testament as a people this year. Again, I know some of you say, oh, I'll read through the Bible every year. That's great. Read through it all. I'm not limiting you. I just want to challenge those who've never even done the reading through the New Testament. Let's just read through the New Testament. Oh, and you started in Luke, didn't you? I wished I could say I was smart enough to plan all that out, but I didn't. God just kind of put it all together. Some of you say, oh, I got 11 verses of Luke 5 already today. <laughs> read through the New Testament. Why? Because if we're going to follow, we've got to hear. I said, you got to follow. You got to listen to him. This is his word. If you're going to get more like him, you got to hear from him. If, you gotta, if you're called to do this mission work and all this other, you got to hear what he is saying. This is the primary way in which he speaks to you. The Holy Spirit of God takes his word and it, he implants it in your life. So read through the New Testament. Again, their plans. You say, well, it's all right, man. It's January 11th. It, it's, it's, it's all right. No, today's the 12th. January the 12th. I've already missed so many days. You can start right now. And you can start reading through the New Testament. We have plans. And I would encourage you, you may hear more about this in the days to come, but I encourage you to, to join a small group, a, a gender-specific group. You can find that again online where you can sign up to be a part of a group that meets outside of Sunday and talk about that scripture and work through it together. Let me give you this last because I know some of you are about to panic because it's hit the 10 o'clock hour. One million dollars. One million dollars. I pray that in 2020, we can give one million dollars to missions and to benevolence causes. One million dollars. That sounds like a lot. But I was looking over last year I was looking at the offerings, the special offerings that we had last year, or any Armstrong offering, which goes to North American missions. Our goal was 63,000. We gave 75,000. Our Georgia Barnett, which supports state missions, it, our goal was 27,500. We gave 34 plus. Our Lottie Moon Christmas offering, you heard George talk about that earlier here in the sanctuary. Maybe you've heard that announcement in the gathering. 155,000 was our goal, 160. Look at this, by the way. 160, 34, 70. That's a lot of money. 
But it's not just in the special mission offerings. We know that every week when we give to our budget, we are supporting missions around the world. This year, for example, what we call our cooperative program, what is that? That is Southern Baptist instrument vehicle program that supports missions and ministry. It goes to support our missionaries on the field every day. And our cooperative program, our budget for this coming year is 290000 Just through our budget, just through your regular giving every Sunday, 290000 And if you look at our 2020 total missions budget, 529,000. So 529,000 plus all those offerings, we're already up. We're already up there, aren't we? But it's still a challenge to give. And may I say this? The only reason you and I can give so faithfully is because God gave it to us to start with. You never forget that. This is not bragging rights. This is not to say, oh, look at what we've been able to give. No, if God hadn't given you that to start with, you never would have been able to give to the offerings. If God had not blessed me in my life, I never would be able to give back to him in such a way. We must never forget that he is the giver of all blessing and that we just get an opportunity to turn it back to him and use it for his kingdom good. One of the special things we hope to do this year, you may have heard a few churches doing this. I want it stated we had this idea before a lot of the other ones did around. <laughs> Our staff, we met and talked about this. And then the next day, we saw one of the other churches not too far from here uh, put something on Twitter about it. I said, we should have tweeted or tweeted or whatever. We should have done that first, probably. But it's not about who does it first. You hear me? It's about us being faithful. So what are we going to do? Well, we have proposed to do is to help in benevolence to be able to give in such a way that we can alleviate the medical debt of five parishes for the poorest of the poor in Lincoln, Union, Bienville, Jackson, and Claiborne Parish. We're partnering with an organization so that we can relieve at about $3.5 million worth of debt. And we can do that for a simple $35,000. Some of you say, how in the world do you do that? Well, I can talk to you after church about how you can do it. But this is for the poorest of the poor in these, in these areas. They've been turned over to financial uh, collection agencies. The debt is out there. We want to do this. And what we're going to do is we're going to send them a note. And we're going to let them know after we've paid it that not only has their physical debt been paid, but their spiritual debt through Jesus has been paid. And what we want them to know is that people love them, and we, are, we want them to know that Jesus loves them, and that they are always welcomed to follow him and to know his forgiveness if they don't know it already. A million dollars. I give you these things, you say, oh, these are all numbers. It's all about baptism. No, no, no. We want to have goals. I told you my first priority is encountering Jesus. But what I want to do as a church is for us to encounter him and for us, for us to seek the highest standards, the highest opportunities that we can for the kingdom. We need goals. If you have no goal, well, you'll have nothing to really shoot for. 
I say discipleship is a complete surrender, but it's also a, called a complete sufficiency. I've already said it. I'm just going to put it out there. You and I cannot do this alone. Peter and the disciples, or the fishermen, they had been out fishing all night long and caught nothing. But when Jesus empowers us to do these things, we will see our nets breaking. When Jesus empowers us through the Holy Spirit to get out and to have these conversations and to give and to go, we will see His sufficiency. He always covers us, doesn't He? Doesn't He always take care of everything that we desperately need? It is His complete sufficiency. And it is for His glory. See, this is what I've seen in life. Your surrender, my surrender equals His sufficiency. If I surrender to Him, He is sufficient for me. He always is. And in these goals, I want you to hear that we want to proclaim His sufficiency. We want to proclaim His glory and who He is. Because when Peter sees this and he's taken away, he says, Oh God, I, I'm not the one. I am sinful. But you, you are something different and holy and powerful. And when God does these things in our lives, when we see it in this coming year, may we get on our knees and say, God, it's not about us. It's not about Temple Baptist Church. I don't want to tell people about Temple. I want to tell people about Jesus. I don't want to give to Temple. I want to give to Jesus. I don't want to baptize in Temple's name. I want to baptize in Jesus' name. I don't want to go in Temple's name. I want to go in Jesus' name. I don't want to read the story of Temple. I want to read the story of Jesus. And I want to say, God, you are so different and holy and unlike us. And you have empowered us. And we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Because it should never be about us. It should be about calling people to discipleship in Jesus Christ. My friends, today, would you follow him? Would you hear the call to discipleship? Today, during this invitation, some of us need to maybe come forward and just get down on our knees and say, God, Sorry for where I was. I've been a casual Christian in many ways, but God, I want to be a committed disciple today. Some of you may need to pray with other people. I'm going to ask you maybe if you get a chance, there's, there's some here, there's some at the exits, maybe at the invitation. Some of you say, hey, I just need to go pick up this green ball because this, this is my action item to say I'm going to share the gospel. So I'm going to pick it up. There's some here in a basket, some in buckets around. You don't have to all come here. There's some today that need to follow him for the first time. I'm going to be right here. There's some of you that say, you know what? I haven't been baptized. I, I can help you take care of that. I can, I can talk with you. And you can follow him in baptism. Launch out, folks. And let down the nets. Because God himself... God himself is willing to fill our nets, to stretch them, to even fill them so that they are about to break. And I pray in 2020, we would see 
that type of multiplication and multitude come to know Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for asking us to do things that are impossible without you. Because it reminds us that we are insufficient on our own. That we must have you guiding, leading, and taking care of us. God, I pray that you would do something within us in 2020, such a way that we could encounter you powerfully. Now, God, I pray that you'd begin it in so many ways. You've already, and we give you thanks for the baptisms for others who've come to know you. But God, I pray that you would begin it in earnest today as we respond in commitment during this time of invitation. Help us to respond to discipleship, not to casual Christianity. Father, for those who need to commit, those who need to just pick up a green ball and as a reminder of their opportunity and responsibility to fish, or maybe people need to come and say, I need to be baptized. There are people in this place that may need to come make this their church home. God, move. Help us sense your presence even now. Manifest yourself to us. We pray it in Jesus' name.